You are listening to community-supported radio, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Wednesday, March 17th, 2021. I'm Joyce Miller, and this is the KVMR Evening News. Right after the latest NPR News headlines, we'll have the California Report from KQED Public Radio with a report on Kern County's plan to vaccinate the people who harvest your fruits and vegetables. The California Report also answers the question, does the government have to print more money so you can get your stimulus payment? After a roundup of regional news and weather, Felton Pruitt drills down into the details of Nevada County's initiative to vaccinate food service workers with Cindy Wilson, the county's director of public health nursing. Here are the latest headlines from National Public Radio. Live from NPR News, I'm Jack Spear. The Office of the Director of National Intelligence says domestic violent extremists pose a growing threat in 2021. NPR's Ryan Lucas has more on the new unclassified assessment from U.S. intelligence agencies. The one-page executive summary from the intelligence community provides a 30,000-foot view of the threat of domestic extremism. The report says that individual domestic violent extremists or small cells of them are more likely to conduct attacks than extremist organizations. The intelligence community also says that racist or militia violent extremists pose the most lethal homegrown threat. The report concludes that recent sociopolitical developments like the attack on the U.S. Capitol and the COVID-19 pandemic will almost certainly prompt some extremists to take up violence. White supremacists, meanwhile, are the homegrown extremists with the most persistent and concerning overseas connections. Ryan Lucas, NPR News, Washington. President Biden says Russian President Vladimir Putin will pay a price for his efforts to interfere with the 2020 election. NPR's Windsor Johnston reports the American leader's threat follows new intelligence that shows the Kremlin meddled in the election. The Office of the Director of National Intelligence concluded that Russia supported efforts to undermine public confidence in the electoral process and tried to denigrate President Biden's candidacy. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki says the administration will continue to press Russia for its actions. The Russians have intervened or attempted to intervene in elections long before 2016. We certainly are very eyes wide open about that and fully aware of that. We are not going to look the other way. In the meantime, the Russian foreign ministry has called its ambassador back to Moscow for what it calls consultation on how to save bilateral relations from irreversible deterioration. Windsor Johnston, NPR News, Washington. The Senate has unanimously confirmed Catherine Tai to serve as U.S. Trade Representative. NPR's Scott Horsley reports Tai's promised a more collaborative approach to international trade relations. Tai is a veteran trade negotiator whose work as a congressional staffer also contributed to her broad bipartisan support in the Senate. She played a key role for House Democrats in negotiating changes to the Trump administration's updated trade deal with Canada and Mexico. Tai is a native Mandarin speaker who's promised to work closely with U.S. allies to forge a more unified approach on trade issues with China. During the Trump administration, the U.S. imposed stiff tariffs on hundreds of billions of dollars worth of Chinese imports. Most of those tariffs remain in place despite the Phase 1 trade agreement signed early last year. Scott Horsley, NPR News, Washington. The Treasury Department says it sent out about $90 million worth of economic impact payments, totaling $242 billion since President Biden signed his $1.9 trillion coronavirus relief package this week. On Wall Street, the Dow was up 189 points. This is NPR.
Health experts say a surge in coronavirus cases in Europe should serve as a warning to the U.S. not to let down safeguards too soon. While optimism has been spreading in the U.S. as virus deaths plummet and states ease restrictions, across Europe tighter guidelines are having to be put back in place amid a surge in cases that is straining some hospitals. The divergence in part comes as more vaccines are being rolled out in the U.S. and a wave of more transmissible variants have hit England or Europe. rather. The president of Tanzania, John Magafuli, has died of heart complications. NPR's Ader Peralta reports he died amid rumors he was suffering from COVID-19. When John Magafuli came into power in 2015, he became a sensation. He was nicknamed the bulldozer for his no-nonsense approach toward corruption. But over the next few years and into his second term as Tanzania's president, Magafuli became an authoritarian leader. His government went after his opponents and did not tolerate any dissent. When the coronavirus pandemic broke out, he became the biggest COVID denier on the African continent. He scoffed at the global panic, told people not to wear masks, and more recently, Magafuli said his country would not accept vaccines. His vice president, Samia Saluhu Hassan, said he died of chronic heart disease. She said nothing of COVID-19. Ada Pralta, NPR News, Nairobi. Severe winter weather across much of the nation put the brakes on home building last month. The Commerce Department reporting today construction fell 10.3 percent, while applications for new buildings fell by an even bigger 10.8 percent. Government says the decline pushed home and apartment building to a seasonally adjusted annual rate of 1.42 million. I'm Jack Spear, NPR News. California Report. I'm Lily Jamali. The family of a San Quentin inmate who died from COVID-19 has sued California corrections officials over their response to the pandemic. KQED's Holly J. McDeed reports. The lawsuit says CDCR acted with deliberate indifference when they transferred high-risk inmates from a prison in Chino to San Quentin last May. 61-year-old Daniel Ruiz was due for early release, but then contracted COVID-19 while in prison. He died in July. Michael Haddad is the family's attorney. We want to find out exactly how this happened to make sure this kind of thing can't happen again. And ultimately, the family is, of course, seeking accountability and justice as well. A spokesperson for CDCR said they have not yet been served the lawsuit and will evaluate the claims once officials receive it. For The California Report, I'm Holly McDeed. Let's go to the Central Valley now. Over a thousand farm workers in Kern County have gotten their first round of COVID-19 vaccines. As Valley Public Radio's Mari Balanos reports, the United Farm Workers Foundation and partnering organizations have plans to vaccinate thousands more in the coming weeks. The UFW Foundation, in partnership with the Kern County Latino COVID-19 Task Force, is vaccinating farm workers every weekend for the next three weeks as part of the county's initiative to get more farm workers vaccinated. For the first weekend, UFW Foundation President Teresa Romero says 500 people were registered for each day. We had uh, probably each day a couple of hundred people who did not register. Uh, at all, but we still were able to give them the vaccination. Although it's better for farm workers to register in advance, she says, the only thing they need to provide is a form of ID. 
We're not asking for any uh, legal residency. We're not asking for anything other than just some some uh, health questions. To register, call the UFW Foundation's hotline or the Project Abuelita hotline from the Kern County Latino COVID-19 Task Force. For the California Report, I'm Madi Bolaños. In Southern California, as more and more businesses open up indoors, the L.A. County Board of Supervisors wants inspectors to focus more on education and less on fines when it comes to visits. In a unanimous vote yesterday, the board approved new guidance that focuses on penalizing only the worst or repeat offenders for any COVID-related violations. Two supervisors had proposed that health inspectors not impose any fines at all on a first visit, but that plan was amended over concerns that some business owners would rather rather pay a fine than follow health guidelines. Violations that result in fines include failures to screen employees and report outbreaks and not requiring employees to wear masks. Support for the California Report comes from Paint Care. Now with 800 drop-off sites in California where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. More at paintcare.org. Stanford Medicine. Protecting your health and providing dependable care with safe in-person appointments and video visits StanfordHealthCare.org slash AdaptingCare. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Ocean Institute, working to advance the frontiers of ocean research, sharing the connection between life on land and life at sea with everyone everywhere. As stimulus checks start landing in mailboxes this week, you might be wondering how the federal government is paying for it. Well, Reuters reporter Ann Safir answers questions like that for a living. Here she was chatting with her daughter May recently. So what do you want to know? What are you curious about or confused about the economy? Well, I just don't know why. Like, okay, I get that printing more money would cause inflation, but that, like, still doesn't really make sense to me. Like, why does it have to be like that? Wait, why does... So what do you think... Why does it... They should just print enough money so that everybody can be, like, satisfied and, like, able to live with their basic human needs. And so why can't they just do that? Yeah. First of all, great questions from May. So can we just print money? Well, Anne and I picked up the conversation there. The standard economist answer is, no, you can't print money because if you print money, there's just going to be more of it out there and it will be worth less. The more you have of something, the less it's worth. It's the classic supply-demand rule of economics. But in this situation, that's actually similar to what the government is doing. So then why won't that cause some kind of inflation and mean that, you know, each time you buy an egg or fill up your gas tank, it's going to cost you a lot more, so your money will be worth less because somebody just printed a bunch of it. What's been happening around the world and also in the United States for the last decade, decade and a half maybe, has been a lot of downward pressure on prices from things like technology, like Amazon. There's a lot of globalization. So there's all these sort of Mm -hmm. global forces pushing down on prices. Even when you flood an economy with a ton of money, which is kind of what's happening with the stimulus and also with what the Fed is doing, it doesn't have the effect that you might have thought it would have had mm-hmm. and that it actually has had, you know, in years past. 
right. doesn't have that force of pushing up the prices in the same way. Um, that seems to be the, a yeah. real head scratcher for people uh, at the Fed to some extent, people who report on the Fed like you. Um, where is inflation? You know, <laughs> when is it ever going to come back? It just seems like it's been really stagnant for quite a while. You report on the economy, and that can be a very um, sort of lofty, <laughs> esoteric thing to do. But the economic indicators are everywhere. There's so much more visible as you go out and do your work. Can you talk a little bit about how reporting on the economy has changed for you since the pandemic? It's true. It's everywhere. We just go out to go buy some food for our pet rats and walking into that mall, the way it looks physically has entirely changed. Half the stores are gone now. So all the people who used to work in those stores no longer have jobs. The IHOP there has all its tables outside and people are eating their pancakes placed at tables six or 10 feet away from each other. So yes, they have business, but there's probably a lot fewer people eating at that restaurant than used to. There's just a lot of changes that you see really visibly that you didn't necessarily see, uh, or at least I didn't necessarily see so easily during the Great Recession. It's just been a, a very visceral experience trying to yeah. cover what's going on. Well, Anne Safir of Reuters, thank you. Thank you, Lily. And that is the California Report for this St. Patrick's Day Wednesday. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Lily Jamali. Nevada County put out a call this morning urging its residents to remain vigilant so that the county can move out of the purple or widespread tier of COVID restrictions and into the less strict red tier. A news release posted today on the county website stated, The past year has been challenging and frustrating, but the science is very simple and settled. Each one of us must remain vigilant, avoid gatherings, wear our masks, limit indoor activities with others, practice social distancing, and take all precautions to avoid spreading the virus. Sue Hook, the Board of Supervisors Vice Chair, added, We are at the cusp of moving forward towards the red tier, but we need everyone in our community to do their part so we can get back to business. The promotion from purple to red allows indoor restaurant dining and a number of other types of businesses, including gyms and movie theaters, to reopen for indoor operations. To move into the red tier, Nevada County must meet specific criteria for two consecutive weeks. Today, according to the county's website, it met the metrics for the red tier for the first time since November. If the case rate stays below 10 cases per day and the test positivity rate remains below 8%, we will be able to move into the red tier as early as March 30th. Speaking to local media outlets today, Nevada County Public Health Director Jill Blake repeated that it is up to the populace to move us into the red tier. I would just like to say that sometimes we still get the question from people, what will it take for us to move from the purple tier to the red tier? And I always turn that back to everybody else because it's the community. It's the community that will, and, and how the community is, is behaving in their personal, professional, social lives. That's what's going to determine the movement. Hopefully people are taking, if they're taking risks, they're taking calculated risks and trying to prevent disease transmission from occurring. But anyway, it is in the hands of the community. It's not in the hands of this department. So we continue to get that question and, 
And I continue to, to remind folks that it, it's, it's all of us. It's what we are all doing collectively. That is what will move us from one tier to another. Tuesday, Nevada County Public Health reported seven new confirmed COVID-19 cases. California promoted 10 counties from the purple tier to the red tier restrictions Tuesday, including Sacramento and Sutter counties. The state health department already promoted 13 counties to less restrictive tiers over the weekend and signaled late last week 13 more were projected to move from purple to red. However, three of the 13 counties, including Yuba County, had case rates spike back above the red tier threshold and therefore did not move up. The state health department on Sunday promoted Placer, Siskiyou, Amador, Tuolumne, Calusa, and nine other counties from purple to red. And also, according to the Sacramento Bee, Cinemark Holdings Incorporated, the largest movie theater operator in greater Sacramento, said today it plans to reopen theaters Friday across the region, as well as other major California markets. Most theater chains began reopening last summer, but changed course after another surge in COVID-19 infections. Cinemark said it would take extensive safety precautions, including mask requirements and staggered showtimes and limited seating capacity. Cinemark said it will reopen sites Friday in Yuba City, Laguna, downtown Sacramento, Greenback Lane, and Arden. The Tower Theater in Sacramento also will reopen Friday. If you're a lover of Nevada County's libraries, you owe a debt of gratitude to Madeline Helling, who died Tuesday at age 95. Born in Bismarck, North Dakota, Helling came to Nevada City from San Francisco in 1974. She served as our county librarian from 1974 to 1991. Under her leadership, Truckee's library became a reality. The public voted to finance the county library system with three tax measures, and the Nevada County Library that carries her name was opened in 1991. She was an enthusiastic and joyful volunteer for scores of nonprofits and a particular champion of the Nevada County Narrow Gauge Railroad Museum, where she was president emeritus. In January 2019, I interviewed Helling for KVMR's The Sages Among Us. In that lively conversation, she was humble about having the library named for her. When people meet you now, do they say, are you the Madeline Helling? Are you what they say is you're you're still alive. <laughs> and I say, well, more or less. <laughs> Madeline Helling was also firm in her belief in the mission of public libraries. Intellectual freedom, that's what the library stands for is we protect people's intellectual freedom and and it shouldn't be taken for granted because what can be more important than having a freedom to information? KVMR will air the 30-minute interview with Madeline Helling in its entirety at 6.30 p.m. Friday after the KVMR News. In the regional weather forecast, the National Weather Service says an approaching storm system will bring mountain snow and valley and foothill rain Thursday and Friday. This will likely cause transportation impacts in the mountains with travel delays and chain controls. Additionally, there is a chance for isolated thunderstorms in the valley and foothills on Friday. Lingering rain and snow showers will continue on Saturday, mainly in the mountains. Dry conditions will return for Sunday and early next week. 
Tonight in Nevada City and Grass Valley, cloudy with an overnight low of 43 degrees. On Thursday, showers developing in the morning and turning to rain in the afternoon, with a high of 49 degrees and a low of 42. Weather Underground predicts rainfall in the Nevada City Grass Valley area Thursday of nearly one and a half inches. In Truckee, cloudy tonight with a low near 30 degrees. Partly cloudy in Truckee Thursday, giving way to occasional showers in the afternoon with a high of 45 degrees and a low of 33. Thursday night in Truckee, periods of rain and snow, with snow accumulation of less than one inch expected. In Sacramento, clear tonight with a low of 46 degrees, periods of rain on Thursday in Sacramento with a high of 56 degrees and a low of 47. Rainfall of about a quarter of an inch is expected in Sacramento Thursday. If you work in any part of the food delivery chain, from farm to stomach, Nevada County has prioritized you for the COVID-19 vaccine. In an interview with Felton Pruitt, Cindy Wilson, the Director of Public Health Nursing, explains. We're talking with Cindy Wilson. She's the Director of Public Health Nursing here in Nevada County. Hi, Cindy. Thank you for talking with us. Hi, Felton. Thank you for allowing me to be on and talk with you. We wanted to let people know that Nevada County Health is now vaccinating those people in the food and agriculture sectors, starting with grocery store employees. So I thought we should uh, give people all the information about that. Okay, that's a good place to start. If you back up even just a little bit further, the sector's open for people to be eligible quite a bit this week on March 15th. And food and agriculture is one of the areas that we did want to focus on. The people who work in the grocery stores are essential to all of us. Anybody in food and ag is anybody in the chain that gets food into our stomachs. And so we felt like those grocery store workers had been out there all this time working in some conditions that they don't necessarily have control over. And so we did want to prioritize them as a group and try to get them in for vaccines as soon as we could. How many other people in the food industry are eligible then? Is it like people that work at fast food places? Yes, pretty much anybody who works in the chain that gets food from a farm to your stomach is now eligible. So eligibility does not necessarily equate an appointment for you, but it does make that entire group eligible to receive the vaccine at this time. So the restaurant workers, people who work on farms and ranches, I think in particular in some of the other areas of the state, there's a real emphasis on migrant farm workers and people who work in places like meat packing plants where you have to work close together or you kind of live in a congregate setting without a lot of control over your living environment and how close you are to other employees. In Nevada County, we do not have that situation so much. Um, so we chose to just go a little bit different direction with our first outreach attempts to those food and ag workers who are important to all of us. So grocery stores, it is for us. Suppose you're one of the delivery people that drives the trucks or gets it there somehow. Does that include them as well? It does include transportation workers for the food industry, yes. Do you know what vaccine it is that's available right now here in Nevada County? 
Well, we currently have all three of the ones that have been authorized for use. So we have the Pfizer vaccine, we have the Moderna vaccine, and we have the Janssen or Johnson & Johnson or Triple J. We, nobody's quite settled on what to call it yet. <laughs> so all three of them are available. One of the sayings that we're telling everyone is the best vaccine to get is the one that is offered to you. There's not a preference over one or the other. So if people are offered the opportunity to get the vaccine and they're eligible for it, they should accept that appointment and get whichever one is offered to them. Do you have the ability to choose, though, let's say you wanted one over the other, can they do that? That is not an easy thing to do. We don't have like a menu where you show up to a clinic and you say, I want this one, and we say, okay. When you go onto the online registration system, we're trying to be really clear what vaccine is going to be given at that clinic. And so people should be able to look and see and say, yes, I want that or no, I don't. And that's the way they can shop. But they cannot just show up and say, hey, I know that, you know, most everybody here is going to get Pfizer today, but I'd really prefer the Jensen. That's just too much for any clinic to manage in that way. So we are not able to accommodate those requests at this time. And I don't know that we ever will be. But right now, we definitely cannot. Who's paying the cost for this? Does it cost the individual when they come up? It does not cost the individual. On the state website, myturn.ca.gov, people can register and they can get some notifications when appointments are available. And then if they're eligible, they can go in and register for a vaccine. That site does ask for people's insurance. And so if they have insurance, that insurance can be billed by the person who's providing the vaccine. And it's actually the administration fee for the vaccine. The vaccine itself is free. It's uh, being paid for by the federal government. So all of us are contributing to that cost. And then um, the individual is not charged, but their insurance may be charged for the administration fee. And if people are uninsured, then the provider even has a mechanism to charge for that as well, but not to the patient. The patient should not be incurring a charge for the vaccine. Okay. Why don't you remind people how you sign up? Uh, so there's a website called myturn.ca.gov, and you can go in and create an account, and then it will allow you to start a registration process, and you have to answer eligibility questions, and it will make a determination as to whether you're eligible or not eligible. If you are eligible and there are appointments available, it will direct you to an appointment, and if you're not eligible, it will tell you that. Or if you're eligible but there are no appointments available, it will also tell you that. And it is just beginning to have the capability of sending people an email message saying appointments are now available when they come up. It's something that is being, as they say a lot, built while we're flying the plane. <laughs> and so it continues to enhance its functionality, and that's one function that has not been in place but is is being put in place to make those notifications when we have a point. We do have several partners throughout the county. Several of the primary care providers are taking care of vaccinating their patients. We have some pharmacy partners. Um, and intermittently, the two hospitals on both sides of the county have been doing some vaccine clinics. And then here in the county, uh, we have been running some clinics in our main office, and also we've stood up a site at the Old Whispering Pines Clinic that used to be the Western Sierra Medical Clinic, and before that it was the Miners Clinic. And so we've got quite a few places that are possibilities for people. Do you have anything else that you want the folks to know? 
Well, I think I just want to emphasize that many more people are now eligible than even were a week ago, um, and that is great. It also does not necessarily mean that an appointment is available. So all of us are going to have to continue to have patience with the process. Uh, the federal government's goal was to make everyone eligible by May 1st. We seem to be on target in California and in Nevada County to get to that milestone. But even then, it's going to take a while before everybody can receive a vaccine. So there are some limitations in vaccine supply. There are some limitations in just how many people are providing the vaccines and the availability of, of appointments. So I would ask people to be really careful about those eligibility lists, to look at those, make sure that they're eligible before trying to say, oh, yeah, I think I should just go in there and take an appointment for somebody who's currently eligible. And all of us need to continue those public health measures that we've been asking of people for a long time, the washing pan, the physical distancing when you're in uh, around people who are not part of your family unit and wearing a mask when you're out in public. So all of those things will contribute to maintaining lower levels of cases in Nevada County, keeping it from spreading while we're trying to get everybody vaccinated at that once a vaccine in the at least medium future, if not short-term future. We've been talking with Cindy Wilson, the Director of Public Health Nursing here in Nevada County. We thank you for the information, Cindy. Thank you, Felton. You take care. That's our newscast. Coming up next at 6.30, stay tuned for an all-new live edition of The Sages Among Us with tonight's host, Taylor Wolf, in conversation with Erica Mertens, the Recycling Program Manager for the Town of Truckee. At 7 p.m., it's Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. Have a wonderful evening. Thank you.